comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me uh, is a man that was not sent to space like the Orlando Pride kits today, Logan Stump. Yeah, you know, I I was kind of jealous that they didn't send me up in one, Um, especially (laughs) looking that good. I mean, come on, you, you can't. You can't say that 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 kit's definitely better uh, than the Orlando City kit. Yeah, uh, yeah. Are they going to release this for men too? Because I hope so. I, I've had some issues looking for male. Oh yeah, they did. Copies. Yep. They did. Okay. Yep. They did. They did. Yep. It's on hey, there. There's it's your on next one, Logan. I'm getting it. That one I'm is very kidding. nice. Yes. Um, people haven't seen it. it's kind of like a space theme. It's it's really cool. Um, yeah, but uh, we're gonna talk some. Uh, nycfc today and who do we have joining us for that yeah so kevin nelson is going to come over and help us out with the nycfc 2021 season preview and he covers his team over at the outfield um which is they're revamping it and kind of fixing it up for for the season coming uh they didn't have a they didn't have a very busy off season um so i imagine that once they get started uh, they'll get some content. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got for us and, and kind of what's going on with this team. I know there's a lot of stuff going on as far as behind the scenes. Uh, and you and I have talked about this uh, extensively just because I'm a Man City fan and and watching CFG just kind of tank this, um, this team and this club. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. Uh, I'll give it that. It's, it's something that I wish didn't happen because it's just kind of tarnished their legacy, especially here in the States and, Honestly, I think it's turned people off of, of Man City. Yeah, well, yeah, it has. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 bad. It's I bad. do not like Man City. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so let's go ahead and bring in Kevin now. The Stateside Soccer Show. Talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. And we now welcome in Kevin Nelson. How are you today? Not too bad. Yourself? Doing well. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So just for our listeners here, if you would be able to uh, let them know where they can find your work or how long you've been covering or following the team. Yeah, so I've been following NYCFC since the beginning, really. Uh, I've had season tickets since, I'm trying to think now, 2015 was the first season. So that was back in the via Lampard Pirlo days um and I got involved with the outfield which is an independent website that you know writes articles that are focused mainly on kind of analytics and tactics um again time is a blur these days so I think that was probably like two three years ago maybe probably two years ago they started up and I got involved um and just been in that rhythm ever since Awesome. Uh, so our uh, first question is typically uh, an easy one, I guess, uh, depending on how the season went, maybe not so easy for NYCFC, but yeah. we, we usually look back at the 2020 season. Uh, what were some things that you think went well for NYCFC and things that uh, did not go so well? It was a strange season for a number of reasons. And obviously it was a weird year for just the world in general with the pandemic. Um, but it was 
a transition, obviously, because they had a new coach in. Dome Tarrant leaves somewhat in a confusing way because it seemed like, you know, he was coming off the best season the club's ever had, winning the Eastern Conference in 2019. And then um, I don't know if there was tension between Tarrant and the front office, but it just seemed like there was some disconnect there. He decided to leave um, and he didn't actually have a job lined up immediately, which was kind of one of the puzzling aspects. And then the team brings in Ronnie Dyla um, fairly last minute, looking back on it. I think he got hired about like a month and a half or something prior to the season starting. So he had to really ramp up quickly. And then obviously start of the season gets going and NYCFC are in champions league and uh they win their first their first matchup with um i believe it was san carlos and that, their costa rican costa rican team um and then obviously everything shuts down and when the team comes back from the hiatus it was just a really poor opening stretch um i think there were two and six in their first eight mls games and there were a bunch of red flags on dyla as a coach and just where the roster was headed because the team's investment has been declining since those opening years when they were investing heavily in those designated players. And it eventually worked itself out. Um, you know, they brought back pretty much the entire roster from the 2019 team that won the Eastern conference. So I think that familiarity and comfort eventually, um, you know, came to the fore and they ended up having quite a good season. Um, I think their best season as far as expected goal differential per 90 of NEs in the team history. So um, up and down year. And then of course the loss in the playoffs was just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, you know, one of the more stressful games I can remember watching of any sport, um, obviously losing on penalties where our last kick was saved by a left back or some outfield player that I can't right. <laughs> like I forget his name, but so I, go, I will re- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will remember his face and his reaction <laughs> for eternity. So it was a a really poor way to end the season and then obviously losing a Tigress shortly after that and Champions League was just kind of a sour note. Um so yeah, that was a long winded way of saying up and down, but for the most part, still I would say a good year overall when you look at it holistically. Yeah, so as a uh, fellow, I, I saw that you were a man. You cover Man City. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so as a fellow uh, Man City, I, I, I oh, yes. follow them. Oh yeah, nice well. man. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> Jordan uh, is a Chelsea fan, but we won't talk too much about that. It's kind of sad. Uh, um, yeah, let's meet him. <laughs> but uh, you know. We, I was going in and, and Jordan and I have talked about this a ton uh, and, and we kind of, and I do, I kind of give NYC FC a hard time just because I know how much CFG can put into a team and how much their investment has worked out and panned out well for, for Man City. I mean, you're talking about uh, the academy, you're talking about different uh, facilities that they are able to build over there, um, you know, constantly updating that stadium and yet they had. Um, whereas now you kind of flip over the NYCFC side and CFG kind of makes it look like it's not worth an investment necessarily as much as obviously city, but uh, not even really close. Um, and then we found a quote and I, I went back and listened to this press conference and it, it, I think it was kind of taken out of context a little bit, but, uh, uh Dyla said the depth is something that is not good enough, uh, to do something in MLS. We need more quality players in. Can you kind of just speak to the investment from CFG and, and kind of where it's kind of lacking in, in sense of uh, NYCFC? Yeah, it's been a little bit of a disappointing trend because if you ask just the common fan, I think most people would assume that an ownership group like CFG would be spending at the top level of at least MLS standards. You know, there's right. caps to that with the rules and everything. And when the team started, that was, you know, we had many reasons to believe that was the case, you know, like bringing in the likes of David Villa, Frank Lampard and Andre Pirlo are pretty good signal of intent that you mean business, even if those guys were on the backside of their careers. And ever since then, it's really just gone the complete opposite direction. And I don't know if the, the way that those signings played out wasn't, 
was a factor in that because Villa was obviously incredible, um, but Lampard and Pirlo were not. Right. Um, Lampard had his moments. You know, he had a very strong stretch in his last season with the team. Pirlo never really, it never really worked. Um, he just didn't have the physicality or the pace to really make it um, in MLS because as much as people like to shit on it. Um, so yeah, that one, it didn't really work out. And I think the team seemed to kind of change their their targets to more younger players that could be sold for a profit later on. I mean, not for that sole purpose, but um, kind of as an additional benefit of having them bringing in Jesus Medina as a DP who, to be honest, has been probably one of the worst DP signings in recent memory. And then Alexandra Matrisa from Romania was similar. And it's not even the DPs per se, because you look at the whole roster and I was looking at the, the salary budget numbers yesterday. They've been declining every year since the inception um, to the point now where they're essentially middle of the table as far as spending goes. And I think that's the issue. I would, I would say that a lot of people who aren't as locked into NYCFC assume that the fans want the ownership to spend on these big names. And it's not even that. I think we just want them to spend at the top of MLS limits because there's no reason why that shouldn't be the case. Um, and it makes people think that, you know, this team really is just being used as a vessel um, to kind of further the ambitions of clubs elsewhere, which is a challenging balance for me to strike as a Man City fan um, right. because I'm on both sides of that conversation. Um, but yeah, I it would be nice if the team kind of opened up those pocketbooks enough where they were at least at the higher level for MLS standards. Uh, so just, uh, you know, when, when City was... Um, when New York City was granted this team, New York City FC, um, it was at a time where MLS was really, you know, pushing for teams that uh, t- expansion teams that have uh, stadium deals to enter the league. Uh, there was a few teams that were kind of turned away, you know, at that point saying, oh, you don't have, you know, the, the stadium ready. And we've seen, you know, Sacramento kind of had that hold up at one point before their most recent holdup, but it seems like, you know, they couldn't just turn away the city financial group and Yankee money. And they, you know, accepted this team with no stadium deal. Then we've had, you know, just setbacks and setbacks where now New York city FC is going to play some games in Red Bull arena this year in New Jersey and city uh, released this um, Q and a, uh, I think it was today. Um saying from the time we enter the public approval process, we are about four years out from that point to a stadium opening, which Mm -hmm. means that NYCFC would be almost 12 years old. If that happens uh, Uh, soon. Can't even even listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Can you just give us us your thoughts on, on on the stadium process? And I know New York is very hard to create a stadium there, but you know, this was branded as being a team in New York city and, you know, having to share a home right now with the Yankees that you're always getting bumped to either Connecticut or now to Red Bull Arena. Uh, you know, how does that feel as a fan of, of uh, NYCFC? It's tough. I mean, this is kind of the big question the fan base has been asking ever since the team has existed because this has been a lingering promise. Um, and it's kind of a kernel that the club will hang over our heads when it's time to renew season tickets where it's like there's some – news that's dropped about like it's a promising development um i'm personally not as locked in on the stadium as some in the outfield just because um i'm numb to it and i just am like when it's when it's signed and it's official let me know i'll be thrilled um if you do want to read about any of this stuff read chris campbell from the outfield he does incredible work the guy's essentially like an investigative journalist with these things. He gets incredible information and details that are not released by the team at all. Um, So he's your resource for that. But I'm resigned to the fact that this team will be playing at Yankee Stadium for the foreseeable future and apparently Red Bull 
Red Bull Arena. Um, and I can almost accept Yankee Stadium because it's become familiar and it's become somewhat of a home, even though it's not right. ideal. And I think it does make the team look a little bit gimmicky and not as legit as we would like, especially on a global scale, which I think what the team's ambitions are about kind of elevating or maybe not anymore, but we thought they were trying to elevate this team to kind of more of a global brand. But um, yeah, it's the whole real estate market in New York is obviously challenging. And I think the team has put themselves into a tight spot because they said from the get-go that they were determined to have a stadium in the five boroughs in like the limits of New York city. So there's not a lot of space left to do that. So you have to kind of really make some political moves. And I think they've been trying to, the, the problem the fans have with this is that there's just a complete lack of transparency, transparency from the club on the stadium and pretty much everything else where I would argue that most fans can tolerate the current situation, understanding the difficulty in getting a stadium built. If the team was a little bit more upfront, you know, what the team will tell you is that these things are, you know, happening behind the scenes and it's political. So we can't be open about some of these negotiations. And I get that to a certain degree. Um, it's just kind of one, one thing in a litany of, um, kind of concerning behavior from the team that um, makes fans more skeptical than they were probably at the start of the club's existence. Um, but at the time being, I'm, I'm completely numb to the stadium. I cannot wait for it. But if you told me it's going to happen in 10 years, it wouldn't surprise me. So kind of moving on into the team itself and, and talking about some of the investment and some of the, the pieces that are leaving. Um, you had Alex Ring leave, uh, you traded to Austin, and then Ronald Monterita uh, joins Cincinnati on a trade. Um, can you kind of just look back at their time with NYCFC and then speak to some of their um, impact that they had on the team and what their departure might mean? So I'll start with Ring, because um, I think he's actually the less concerning departure, at least in my opinion, um, simply because he was playing out of position and it seemed like he didn't really have a firm place um, on this team as much as he used to. But from an emotional level, I think he is a big loss because he was the captain for past two seasons. He was a fan favorite. Um, and at his peak, he was one of the best defensive mids in the league, probably. Um, and I don't even think he necessarily can't be that again. I mean, he's only going to turn 30 this season, I believe. It's just the fact that the way Dyla wanted to play, primarily in a 4-2-3-1, um, James Sands was a stalwart as one of those D-mids. And because of some of his... I wouldn't use the word limitations, but just he's not as ambitious going forward. I think you want to pair him with somebody who is that. And Keaton Parks kind of matched uh, matched up well with that. And that forced Ring to essentially play as an attacking midfielder slash left winger at times for most of last season. And um, it was hard to tell if Dyla was playing him because he felt an obligation to just because he was so established with the team or if it was a matter of he just wanted somebody who can bring energy and be like a runner in that position um, because it didn't really work. He looked out of place there for most of the time. So then moving on from him, I think it's just a matter of where the numbers shake out. He was due to make, I believe, close to $900,000 this season, which is a lot to be paying for somebody who is not going to be, you know, playing at, at his best spot on the field. So tough to see him go because, you know, he was a player that clearly cared. Like he had a lot of passion for the team and for winning, but it just, it, I think it was a good time and it seemed like they got a good deal on him. And then um, Ronald Matarita is, is an interesting case because, you know, he, I think was a player when he first got to the team who seemed like he was due for the jump up to like a higher tier. It seemed like he was being groomed as a move on. Um, mm -hmm. 
both from the club's perspective and the player's perspective where he wanted to kind of test his medal in Europe and he kind of just stuck around and he's been really good. I think last season was almost unquestionably his best with the team. Um, like I think the defensive concerns we may have had about him prior were alleviated a bit last season and he was incredibly productive. Um, he was second among all fullbacks in goals added per 90 last season. Goals added is a stat that's designed by American Soccer Analysis for any who don't already know it. I recommend you go check it out. It's very cool. Um, and the only other fullback ahead of him was his teammate, um, Anton Tenerholm. So, and I think part of the reason for that was those two guys are both incredibly talented, um, but also Dyla really relies on his fullbacks for creation and they are kind of the focal point of the attack in certain extents. So losing him is big because he led all defenders and expected assists. Um, but I think there was a little bit of concern on a health front with him. I don't have any numbers on this, but I just subjectively looking back, it seemed like he was subbed off early more than most defenders or mids on the team. Um, you know, he's missed 43 games in the last five seasons and has always had some fitness concerns, just always lingering. And he's going to turn 27, which is not an old age for a player, but um, I think there might have been an understanding of like this guy could be a few injuries away from kind of breaking down completely. And if that's the case, then I think selling him now does make some sense. They got a good deal from him from Cincinnati. I think you can question their response in terms of the investment back in because they bought essentially a couple lotto tickets. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a big void to fill for the team and there's not really a clear idea of like what that what the next left back for this team looks like yet so you moved into i mean uh moving into attack and you talked some about american soccer analysis and we we actually had jamin on jamin moore um okay. who, yeah who works over there some and he he was talking about heat maps and, and the things that he was working on and he talked a lot about what his project was and then also goals added. Uh, but I did want to ask you, cause I, I found it really interesting. Cause when I was looking back through um, stats bomb and kind of going through expected goals, um, New York city uh, was seventh in the league in goals scored, but uh, they did rank fourth in expected goals, third in expected assist were uh, top of the league in shots on target. And actually were top of the, one of the top teams in the league uh, on shots per target per 90. Um, it, it looked like they didn't have an issue getting the ball at least towards goal and, and, and at least on target. Um, but it, it did seem that there wasn't, it didn't quite equal out. I mean, they sat eighth um, and, and it looked like they could have been higher because of that. But can you kind of speak to, you know, some of maybe that lack of consistency, putting chances away and then who might be uh, one of those depth pieces that might step in since you, it looks like you just have the one healthy number nine. Yeah, I think the final product for this team was a concern. The attack overall was productive. Like you said, all those numbers speak to a team that can create chances. Um, it was a matter of finishing them. And at the current moment, the only true center forward on the team is Tati Castellanos. Um, and they're relying on him to kind of be a big part of this team, at least at the moment. I think part of the reason why some of those um, – those offensive numbers don't look better is because he underperformed his expected goals by I think four last season, according to FB ref. So, but at the same time, he's a really, really good player who I expect big things from this year. And with the fact that Hey Bear, who was the default starting center forward, he tore his ACL late September. He won't be back probably until I think the timeline we're currently at is June or July. Um, so Castellanos is going to have to be kind of the one relied upon up top. And there are plenty of numbers to indicate he can do that. Um, last season, he finished fifth in the league in non-penalty XG plus XA per 90. He was 
second among strikers and goals added. It's just there's a lot of positive signs there, um, which is probably why, unfortunately, there are a ton of links of him moving to Palmeiras. Right. Which, would be, which would be really bad <laughs> um, for the current state of the team because, like, I think it is smart from Palmeiras's perspective to buy him at the current time because there's a chance that if he can carry over those underlying metrics from last season to this season, maybe even improve them because he's still a young player, and then he just adds that kind of finishing touch, he could have a real breakout season score. 15 and 20 goals. If that's the case, the price goes up quite a bit. So I'm not surprised that teams are sniffing around at him. It's just a matter of from NYCFC's perspective, you know, season starting in less than a month's time, selling your best striker and only striker when you don't have much time to get somebody else in the door, at least for the start of the season, would be a questionable decision. I would say, um, you know, there are some rumors of guys coming in, but it sounds like a lot of those names are moves for the summer. Um, and I get the fact that MLS, you know, the transfer market kind of kind of operates on a different timeline than most leagues. Um, but I'm confident in Castellanos. He has like a really good work rate on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, he's very concacafy, which I I would assume most people listening to this will know what that means, but uh, yeah. um, he, he just kind of has that ability to get under defender's skin and he's throwing his body around and he's an enjoyable player to watch. So like I hope we have one more season with him. It's um it's a question of how long he has with the team because he's he's up and coming. So it's a matter of time before he is he is sold. But I'm confident in him. Um Probably less so for the wingers. Um, you know, the attacking group as a whole lacks depth. I think there's a lot of depth in the midfields and even in the defense. I think you could say there's a lot of depth. The attacking group, you're relying on a very small group of players who have not been consistent historically. Um, you know, it'll probably end up being Ishmael Tijori Shradi at right wing primarily um he typically has come into camp a little bit out of shape um sounds like that's less so the case this season from what i've read um but he's a good player who can kind of play inside likes to cut in on his left foot and um get, get shots off right wing is there's a new player coming in um andre jason he's a homegrown player was committed to go play at Yale last year. Um, was going to forego his chance to play with the team, and then they canceled their season, and it ended up being a very, very, very small silver lining of the pandemic that we actually got this guy to sign. So I think he could have a breakout. Um, but when you look at the questions this team currently has, I think it's mostly in the attacking group. Uh, you mentioned some rumors of players coming in, and it was yesterday uh, from when we're recording this that it, uh, NYCFC was linked to Alfredo Morales. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Morales or how he would fit into the team since um, everything I read here is that he would kind of be uh, – it's kind of like the one position NYCFC really didn't need? Yes, this is a strange move if it happens because – you go down the roster of where it's currently at, and there are a ton of midfielders. And they're very redundant midfielders where you were all, you know, in the same way that the team just sold Ring because he didn't really have a spot anymore in his best position. There are a number of players that you can say that about. Um, if we're assuming that City, um, NYCFC are still playing in a 4 3 3 1, you know, you're going to have James Sands and Keaton Parks probably in that double pivot and Maxim Morales ahead of them when he's fit. Then you go down the list of players after that, and there's more than enough options. You know, Akacha Acevedo is a player that I'm a very big fan of, and he barely got any run last season. Um, for reasons I'm still trying to understand. 
And um, I would imagine he's going to get some more time this year. Um, you know, there's still kind of the post-type sleeper aspect of Gideon Zellerim that I think is a very, very small chance of him working out. But, you know, he's involved. Um, and I, if you, if you bring in Morales, I don't know him all that well, um, really just from his days playing with the U.S. team, because this may surprise you guys. I actually don't watch that much Dusseldorf. Um, <laughs> but he, um, it's just, it just seems like he's not, he seems more of like a true box to box center mid to me than he is an attacking mid, which I could see the team needing. So I'd be curious to know if his addition would push parks further forward. Cause I think he has the ability to do more of that attacking role and be on the front foot. Um, and then Morales can kind of step in behind. But at the same time, like watching some of Morales' highlights from Dusseldorf, it looks like he can capably make some late runs into the box and had a few nice headed goals. So potentially he has more of an ability to play kind of in that attacking midfield line more than we think. But, you know, not knowing what the transfer fee for him would be, it just seems like the priority for the team right now really needs to be on attackers. Um, and I'm not saying that they're not trying to target those guys. Um, it's just, we haven't, those moves haven't actually been announced officially. So it's a little puzzling to see them targeting midfielders before those other moves kind of um, become official, but that could just be behind the scenes stuff that I don't you know, have any details on. Yeah, so just, I mean, added, adding in, they have two really, really promising players, uh, obviously in Parks and uh, Sands. Um, do you think that it's, I, I know with uh, Keaton Parks that he he played with Benfica B, um, and he'd been over in Europe because he did something that obviously all the younger players try to go and do. Um, and James, Sambian, James Sands being 19, um, do you think that maybe some of this has to do with the fact that they're looking, you know, Sands looking to move into Europe eventually, give it a year or so? Um, and, you know, is that something that's possible? Yeah, it could be. I I honestly thought Sands was going to be gone this offseason. Right. Um, he got hurt late, late in the season, and it was kind of a tough way for the year to end because – it really felt like that was the last we're going to see of him in an NYCFC jersey. Right. And he signed an extension recently. Um, now, obviously, that does not forbid him from moving. We've seen a number of players in MLS sign new deals, essentially, and then get sold a year later. Um, it kind of gives the club a little more leverage on that. So maybe it's going to help the transfer fee on that back end. But I really do think James Sands has a future in Europe, um, assuming he wants it, which I have no reason to expect he doesn't. Um, he did have a trial, um, I believe, with Dusseldorf, which is kind of a weird coincidence, a <laughs> few years ago, and it never came to anything at the time. I think the challenge for James Sands, and this shouldn't be a challenge, it's just like, He's kind of just stable in everything. He's not a sexy player where he doesn't like jump off the page or the right. screen in any specific category. He's just good at everything. Um, and I think sometimes those players can get overlooked um, to a certain extent. And But there will be a smart team who can see his skill set and know they can get more out of it because he has a really nice positional archetype where – being able to play defensive midfield and center back at a fairly high level is a very valuable thing to have because tactically that allows you to transition between formations and shapes really fluidly. Right. NYCFC have done it for quite some time now where he's playing defensive midfield and then in possession, he drops into the middle of that back line. You can kind of space your fullbacks into more of a wingback role, push them forward. Um, and it's a nice kind of fluctuation that you can provide. So 
there's not many players who can do that role um, capably on both ends. So I think that the question for Sands and the the progress he needs to make as a player is is in his progressive passing. I think he's has more ability than he shows. He just seems to be very conservative in what he's willing to try. So I think if he can be a little bit more ambitious moving the ball forward, that might open some eyes in Europe that are maybe missing something else with him. Because you look at the numbers between him and Keaton Parks and all of the the built-up numbers and the progression numbers, Keaton Parks is miles ahead of James Sands right now. And that's partially because of their tactical roles. And it's partially because Keen Parks is much better at doing those things. Um, and Parks, I, I'm almost getting the sense at this point in his career that this might just be his level. Um, because, you know, he moves from Benfica in his early 20s. You know, he's going to turn 24 this season. I feel like at a certain point, you kind of lose the prospect shine when you're 24, 25. And if mm-hmm. he sticks around for any longer than maybe the next season, he might, that youth label that I think teams look for in MLS players um, kind of goes away. And I was trying to look it up yesterday and I was having some trouble with Transfer Mark's website, but I can't remember that many players who are in that age range moving to Europe for right. like, reasonably significant transfer fees. Like the obvious name is Almiron, um, but he was also like the MVP of MLS. So he's definitely in a higher caliber of player. Parks though, I think if this is his level and if you were gonna make me bet money, I would bet that he's just gonna be kind of in life for an MLS from this point forward. He can be one of the better midfielders in the league. He already is that. It, he was sixth in the league among midfielders and goals added. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's already there. Um, and I think that there's probably some room for growth if he can kind of open up and maybe get into more of an attacking midfield position. Um, Cause he's, he's such a tall guy. He's, he's a little gangly when he moves around and it doesn't always look as smooth as you want, but like it always ends up working out for him one way or another. So I'm incredibly high in parks. I just don't see his future lying in Europe anymore, really. So we got a comment from NYCFC Tactics on Twitter. Uh, um, not him. Ignore it. <laughs> they want you to rank Keaton Sands and, and Acevedo. Uh, you know, are there? Uh, it's probably pretty difficult to do, but if you had uh, to put... I, I will do it, but... <laughs> I'm not thrilled about it. So he asked this question because he knows me and he knows how much I love um, Kasha Acevedo. <laughs> it's like ranking your children. Um, you know, there are just like certain players that you just have this yeah. connection with and you yes. can't really explain why <laughs> yes. Kasha Acevedo, <laughs> he's that player. Um, he comes in last season and like, just immediately he plays and I'm like, Oh my God, who's, who's this beautiful creature. (laughs) Um, And I think that he's going to play a bigger role because, you know, if the team does move parks forward, he fits in nicely next to Sands because he's a really good passer and can move the ball forward very capably defensively is definitely a concern that, I still have um, because he seems to be the word clueless feels harsh, but he has moments where you're like, dude, what is going on? But to get back to your question, um, I I have to rank parts last because like James Sands was my original like adopted child on the team. And then Kasha came in and I was like, all right, James, you're, you're not second favorite. Um, Parks never had had that for me, but um, I mean, as far as like quality of actual player, you know, Parks and Sands are probably, I would say tied and then Katja's a dip below with the potential to reach that. 
Um, but if you're asking for my emotional connection, uh, <laughs> stands slightly still because he's proven it more, but Katya is, you know, he's getting there. And say this we, season, I'll be probably changing my answer, is my prediction. <laughs> I was going to say, we were joking on Twitter uh, about playing a 0-10-0 uh, formation <laughs> just because they, I mean, just the surplus of midfielders they have. It's uh, crazy. It's, it's insane. Uh, moving to the defense, uh, what did uh, what did you make of the defense last year? And is there any sort of fear of regression, or do you feel like uh, NYCFC have the players who can be as solid as last season? I have no reason to think they can't be as good as they were last season. You know, the back line, three quarters of it is pretty consistent, um, going from left center back to right back. Alexander Collins, Maxime Chanel, and Anton Tinnerholm will pretty much play every game if they're fit. Um, and that core has been quite good for a while now. Um, you know, I think the influx of midfielders and the depth in that position group makes me think that James Sands may be playing more true center back this season, um, which could indicate a back three slash back five. It could indicate Chanel going to the bench. Um, Cause I do think, I still think the best version of this team in some form or another is with James Sands at right center back, um, which has been primarily more of like a temporary look that um, we haven't seen for long stretches. So I don't see Dyla switching much from the Chanel Collins partnership, at least in like the, the short term. I mean, those, those two guys are still like really good players. Like we were saying before, um, the team was fifth in the league in non-penalty expected goals against. So like the defense is just stable. Tinnerholm is a complete monster. The guy's arguably the best player in the league. Um, which I know is a very high bar um to set but he's just so productive and the team relies on him so much to create things that um like I forget when this was in the season but there was one point late in the year where I was just looking at some numbers and he was the only player in the top 10 percent of every single goals added category which is like passing dribbling shooting interrupting fouling so he was the the only guy in the league who was that good at everything according to that stat which is as you know that stat is probably as comprehensive one as you'll get uh the question is left back really because moderate is gone and even the people who viewed his defense um more negatively than than others like he was a really good player and i think he had some had some growth there the team has brought in a couple young players and malta amundsen who is a danish player um only 23 years old and they also brought in chris gloucester who people may know from playing um on the uh the u20 teams for the u.s um, you know, he was a part of that team that got to the quarterfinals in the U20 World Cup. They, I believe they won the CONCACAF U20 Championship in 2018. So he's kind of been in the U.S. soccer kind of lexicon for a bit. Um, and he's another guy who's a little bit of a post-type sleeper because he was playing for the PSV Eindhoven U23s. Um, and it looked like he was an up-and-coming player on like the European level and then he got phased out of that team and um just I don't know if like the other moves weren't there or if he looked at the situation here and he saw what Dial has done with fullbacks previously um and thought that that was an enticing kind of way to rehab his um his value on more of like the international level um but he's only 20 years old and I have to imagine that there's still a ton of potential there you know if you look at the transfer fees for those two players i believe amundsen came in for 1.6 million which is 
obviously quite a bit for a player who is very unproven. So he must have some tools the team likes because he's only had really one one season at top flight level um, in the Danish league. Um, and then Gloucester, on the other hand, he only cost $100,000 in GAM um, for the homegrown rights from the Red Bull. Now, obviously, I'm well aware that the conversion rate from MLS dollars to actual dollars on like the global scale is not linear. So um, that's not the greatest indicator, um, but I think it could speak a little bit to how they view Amundsen um, potentially as the primary option because the alternatives are Tony Roca, who is kind of like a gadget midfield left back hybrid who isn't really good at anything, but isn't terrible at anything either he's kind of just he's kind of just always around um and he's a player that i tend to forget about and then i'm like oh like he's still on the roster page that's cool um and the other player is goody terrenson who came in last season and i think actually generated quite a bit of excitement and then he just never worked out um i'm hesitant to be too critical of him because he moved right before the pandemic hit. It didn't seem like he settled in from like on a personal level. He didn't seem happy. Um, he also wasn't playing a lot because Matarita was locked in at that starting position. And then when he did get on the field, it just never seemed to work. He lacked a bit of pace you want to see from um, a fullback. He, of course, has the ability to play midfield as well because the entire roster can play midfield apparently. Um, but he's a player who I actually thought would be sold simply because he was the one who missed the penalty, which is one of the more, I would say, like humiliating penalty kicks that I've seen ever. And I thought it was so bad that I'm like, he can't play again for this team. It was that, it was that bad. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go watch it. Um, don't message me afterwards I'm not over, <laughs> not over it yet um but overall i think the defense is going to be strong it's just a matter of kind of how they can cobble together moderate production at left back everything else you can kind of run it back um and they have Ibiaga too um sebastian Ibiaga is a really good depth center back so if there are any injuries he's he can step in no problem and kind of hold down the fort yeah, so moving on into the keeper, uh, Sean Johnson, been with the club since 2017. Can you kind of talk about his time with the club, uh, the impact he has on the defense, and what fans can expect from him in his fifth season with the club? He's good. He's a, he's a very good keeper. We're lucky to have him. Um, he's a player who I think he has some limitations as far as I think he can sometimes struggle coming off his line. Um, you know, NYCFC had some set piece issues historically. And I think part of the problem is that they play a high line um, and he tends to sit back quite deep. So there's a lot of space in between that. Um, I think you'd want your keeper to kind of claim those areas and come out for balls um, ambitiously. And he doesn't always do that. Um, so as far as like sweep, sw sweeper keeper goes, that's not much in the game as much as I think, you know, the CFG brand preaches that type of play. Right. But as a leader and as a shot stopper, um, it's hard to find somebody who's been as good as him. Um, you look at his numbers, he's had progress each year over the past three in terms of his shot stopping um last season he had a plus 0.17 post shot xg per 90 which was um his best season so far um that was only surpassed by matt turner and andre blake for the best in the league um so it's he's just kind of the rock back there you don't have to worry about him um which is a nice thing to have because I think sometimes you can take it for granted when when other teams have keeper concerns, it's it's a real headache right. because you can have a really good team that's good at a lot of things. And then mm -hmm. if you have a bad keeper who lets in soft goals, um, it kind of just throws everything off. So 
Um, it's nice having somebody who's just reliable and consistent back there. So um, I, this has been a nice reminder to appreciate Sean Johnson for me. All right, and time for our last question or the big question. Uh, what would be a successful season for New York City FC this season? I think we're at a point with the team where unless they win a trophy, you can't consider it successful because they've been so good that you have to gauge expectations relative to where the team has been at. Um, so, you know, they've been a playoff team at the top of the Eastern Conference for three, four years in a row now. And every year they lose in the playoffs in disappointing fashion. Um, and obviously, you know, the nature of knockout tournaments makes it very challenging to win, even if you are the best team. Um, but I, I just can't like even getting to a semifinal or a final, I would probably categorize as a success just because it's more than we've had. Um, but I think from, from my perspective, I think if we can see Dyla build on what he did last season as a coach, um, you know, he, he tried to keep things status quo, which I have no issues with because, you know, he inherited a very good team. And if we can see him kind of fit all these pieces around and make it work, um, I think that would be promising. Um, from player level, you know, seeing some growth from the young players, this is kind of the first year, aside from James Sands, that we're going to have more homegrown players involved with Jason, potentially Pavon Gray, who's going to be the backup right back. Um, I think as far as in terms of like fan enjoyment that because the academy is, is essentially as young as the team is, um, this is kind of the first wave of players we've gotten. Um, but overall, I would have to say, I would call it a success if they get to the conference finals. Um, I, at the current moment, I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, if some moves are made between now and the summer window where they can solidify that attacking group and get Hebert back, I think there's enough pieces there where you can see a run happening. Um, I just don't know if I'm going to bet on that at the moment. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Did you want to plug uh, your, your stuff one more time? Oh, yes, please. Um, yeah, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at Kevin underscore N underscore Nelson. I know that's not easy to say, um, but you guys can figure it out. Um, the Outfields is um, at the Outfields. And then um, our website recently changed um, onto a Substack, so I don't have the exact URL. But if you just search for the Outfield NYCFC or go on the Twitter account, you can get to to all of our work. We've been a little bit dormant over the off season because there's been nothing happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. It's felt like a longer off season than yes. most. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So follow us there. We're kind of ramping up, trying to get some article ideas going. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the whole list. All right. That was Kevin Nelson of the outfield and, uh, just, you know, New York City FC fan. Uh, he's also a Manchester City fan, so he has that in common with Logues. Um, Logan, what was your thoughts here on New York City FC after speaking with Kevin? They are who I thought they were. No, um, but they are. I, I mean, they are a young team. That, that's got – I mean, it's going to be a really young uh, New York uh, rivalry because it, the, both sides are very, very young uh, in their talent. Um, I, I think that overall, when you look at the teams, I think that, you know, that they're pretty comparable in the way that they're going to, they're going to perform this season. I think that there is a lot of question marks going in. Uh, things need to go right. 
And, uh, you know, I'm not sure that they've added anything really that's uh, going to help them unless it's just depth at this point, which, again, we've talked about it, uh, to an extent that depth is going to be the big story of 2021 just because of all these international friendlies. And I'm assuming that maybe uh, they'll get some run in some of these camps for the U.S. with Sands and maybe Keaton Parks as well, because I know that they were names that were floated around when they were considering um, bringing them to the Olympic qualifying. But again, I think that. Uh, the biggest thing I take away from this is that this team is just kind of there. It's stuck. It's not added anything special. It's going to be pretty much the same team that they're trotting out from last year with uh, some, I think, big departures. I think that Alex Ring is actually a bigger departure than I think they want to give him credit for. He is arguably one of the best uh, defensive midfielders and playing out of position. He didn't, you know, have as great of a year, but I do think that he's their best player at Austin. And I, I think that the way that he'll play there is going to remind them of how good he was. And it, and it shows you by how much they got back in return for him. And then I think Matarita is, uh, you know, a really big piece too. And I think that since he getting him is, is a big move, um, which, you know, that's just been kind of their case this year, but New York city FC, I think, it's tough. I, I, I kind of want to put them on the cusp of the playoffs and I think they might eventually be the team that I bounce out. I think they can get into the seventh spot. I don't know who else I said that about. Look, I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast. I don't even remember what I said about the Red Bulls, but I think that this team can actually be better than the Red Bulls. I think NYCFC can be um, the best team in New York this season i still don't think they're top four material i think they can sneak in there if, if they can um but ultimately uh, it's all up in the air i mean cincinnati like we just mentioned uh you know they just signed two other players that we haven't gone over yet uh they've put together a squad but will that gel right will that be um you know will that work out for them uh, will those players adapt? We don't really know at this point yet. So we'll see how it goes. Um, for me, I think that, you know, look, just off the field, there's a, there's a lot going on with NYCFC, or I guess you could say on the field since they're going to be playing on different fields <laughs> this yeah, year. Um, and, and that's a shame. And, uh, it, it, you know, but I think on the field they can – they can make it right around that seventh spot. I think is as is as low as is as high as they can go, and as low as they can go is maybe ninth. I think I don't think they're going to be bottom. I don't think they're going to be near the top. I think they're going to be right around the middle of the East. Yeah, it's it's tough because I just don't know. You would like to think James Sands takes a bigger step. You you want to say that Keaton Parks is going to continue his play here because he's one of the best midfielders um but then after that i i just feel like it's it's a much bigger drop from from those two to the others than it is on most teams and depending on style and depending on if james sands even even you know is even considering moving if that's even a possibility on the table because he's 19 this summer might be you know, depending on, on Europe and their situation with money, uh, it might be enticing for somebody to bring him in for the start of the season next year, especially one of these smaller tier clubs in England um, or, or one of the other smaller tiers and uh, maybe even a, a, a move to Germany. Because uh, that's that's ultimately going to be something that uh, Citigroup are going to always take money, um, whether it, it comes at the expense of the team or not, especially since they don't seem to really want to invest in this team either. Um because they just don't, they haven't signed anybody. Like I would have thought that a, uh, a, a number nine would have been high on their priority list just because it, they've got the one uh, Ken Castellanos and, you know, he, he's shown glimpses of what he can do, but I think that there also is some, maybe some concern there about, can he do it consistently enough? All right. If you want to send us your thoughts on NYCFC, you can reach us on Twitter at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, or email us Stateside Show at gmail.com. And we will catch you all next time when we talk some Club de Foot, Montreal.
Kamara throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on! Come on! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. men's national team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stop It's Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.